Can you thank our setup team for making this morning at least exist? They were really under a lot of pressure this morning. Thank you all, all you audio, video, all you guys. Um, there are wonderful benefits of being in uh, the YMCA, and there are wonderful benefits that we're looking forward to when the building is open uh, in about two months. Uh, so we're getting closer. We're getting a lot closer. Good morning. My name is Mitch. I'm the executive pastor of Lake Forest, and uh, I get to bring our message again this morning while Aaron is on sabbatical. And I am excited uh, to be with you all, and I want to kind of tell you a little bit of my own story as we uh, walk through this morning. Uh, one part of this is a year and a half ago, my wife and I drove to Atlanta to put my daughter, uh, my 24-year-old daughter, on a plane to Kenya, Africa, where she had made a two-year commitment to be a missionary uh, with Africa Inland Mission. And two year, uh, a year and a half ago, we put her on a plane. Uh, there, we drove down to Atlanta to make this happen. We had one more night in a hotel with her. It was a very special night. Uh, my wife and I uh, sat up with her for a while, then it got late, and um, my wife went to bed, and so my daughter and I decided we'd put on a funny movie because we needed to laugh a little bit. And during the middle of that funny movie, we found ourselves talking a ton and me crying a bunch because I'm about to say bye to my daughter that I may not touch for two years. Little did I know that COVID would bring her back in three months. But that night, we had the greatest talk. We said uh, a lot of things, and just being able to share that moment with her was very special. Uh, we said goodnight because we knew the next day we'd have to say goodbye. But then the Lord, I figured out, was not done in me of what I needed to say to her. I found myself sitting in the hotel lobby for another two hours until 2 a.m., writing words to her that only a letter could express because words I needed for her to hold on to, not just for that night, for years to come. It was a wonderful gift for me to be able to write these words to her. This morning, we are in the, full, the whole story, and we are wrapping up a part that we're looking at uh, King Solomon. Last week, I talked with you about King Solomon's life. If you weren't a part of that and you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go back because it'll give a lot of context to what we're looking at today. But King Solomon is the son of David, who he took over uh, the kingdom, and Solomon is known as the wisest man to ever live. God gave him unbelievable wisdom. And today we're going to look at a letter that he wrote to his son, as his son was about to take over the kingdom and to run the kingdom. And we're going to look at the book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs is over 30 chapters, so there's no way that we're going to look at it and dig into it in great depth, but I want you to grab a hold of a few things. But listen to this story, this part of his letter, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Just let these words give you a context, a little bit of this writing. My son, don't forget my teaching. Keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life for many years. They'll bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your hearts. Then you'll win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. He'll make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. 
Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Aren't those beautiful words? Those are great, wonderful words from a father to his son. They're not quite as good as the letter I wrote to my daughter, but they work. As you pick up the book of Proverbs, you're going to find that the first nine chapters are this kind of language that we just read. He's pleading to his son, listen to wisdom. Grab a hold of wisdom more than anything else. Make sure you have wisdom. And then you're going to find him move into chapter 10, and he spends 20 more chapters giving him all of these wonderful, wise sayings that encompass a lot of different areas of life. The last couple of uh, chapters you then see that are actually written by a couple of other guys, but the, other, the first 30 are written by Solomon to his son. While the Proverbs are written for a father to a son, they actually can be taken in any context where there's some sort of a mentoring, a mother to a daughter, a grandparent to the grandchild, an aunt to his, her niece, a mentor to the person they're mentoring, a master to an apprentice. It's amazing wisdom, and I want to encourage you, if you're looking for something this summer to, to uh, read, spend this summer in Proverbs. But I want to encourage you, don't read it by yourself. If you're a young person, pick up Proverbs. Don't read it by yourself. Ask someone older. Ask your dad. Ask your mom. Ask a grandparent. Ask an aunt, an uncle. Read it with me because it's written for the context of someone older and someone younger learning together. This morning, I want to point out a couple of things about Proverbs, though, and I want to dig into one area specifically. Here's a couple of things I want you to note about Proverbs. Proverbs is a practical parenting plan for protection and provision. Okay? Have we got that up on the screen? Because I want you to say it with me. Say it with me. Proverbs is a practical parenting plan for protection and provision. All right? Say it five times fast. Proverbs is a practical parent. Just kidding. This is why we're still wearing masks this morning, folks, so you don't spray the person in front of you. But here's what I want you to grab. Proverbs is a practical parenting plan for protection and provision. There are two things that every parent wants for their child. They want protection and they want provision. Those are two of the primary goals of any parent is that I want to protect you and I want to provide for you. In fact, God the Father, our parent, does this throughout the Bible. The Bible is our Heavenly Father's letter to His children, all the rules, all the guidelines that He's giving to us for our protection and for our provision. God's laws are never in place for punishment and power. They're always in place for protection and provision. That's the first thing you need to see about Proverbs. Here's the second thing you need to see that I think is fascinating about Proverbs. In all the wisdom that is written here in the book of Proverbs, it is written by a man who did not follow his own counsel. And it's written to a son who said, I don't want it, Dad. And yet God used a man who never took the counsel that he gave him and a son that rejected it, and God said, this is my word to you. 
And in fact, God used this same man to write two more books in the Bible. Why would God take someone who didn't listen to his counsel and use him to give his word to us? Three books that God does this with. And I believe God is saying to us, this wisdom that you're reading is not Solomon's wisdom. It's the wisdom I gave Solomon. It is my wisdom. What Solomon and his son decide to do with my word does not dictate whether my word is true or not. You can learn from Solomon, a man who did not listen to my word, you can still learn my word and learn what it means when you refuse to apply my word in your life. That's what I love about the scriptures. Do you realize that the entire Bible is written by broken people? And a lot of people think, well, you can't believe it because that. No, that's the very reason you can believe it, because it never changes God's word. Human behavior never changes God's word. God's word always changes human behavior. The entire Bible put down in God's power, in God's sovereignty, shows how amazingly powerful God is that he can take broken man and bring out amazing glory. And if we're all honest about our lives, that's the true thing about every one of our lives. Somehow, some way, the grace of Jesus takes my brokenness and turns it into his glory. And I think the Bible illustrates that greater than anything else. We know without a doubt that God can still use people that don't follow his counsel. Their behavior doesn't stop God's plan. And so the life of Solomon and the way he and his son treated this wisdom doesn't change the power of God's word in our life. And so I want to focus on a couple of other things Specifically, I want to nail down this morning with you how we can take this counsel that God gave to Solomon, how we can actually take the relationship of Solomon and his son, and we can learn from this, especially as parents. Now, I'm going to talk a lot to parents this morning, but again, these words are not just for parents. They're for grandparents. They're for aunts. They're for uncles. They're for anybody that has a child around them in any way that you can help grow and shape their life. Here's the first thing that I want you to know about parenting. Kids grow spiritually by what they catch and not by what they're taught. As you follow the life of Solomon, as you read the Proverbs, he pleads to his son, don't forget my teachings. Keep my commands in your heart. Proverbs 3.1. My son, don't forget my teaching. Keep my commands in your heart. The first 10 chapters just pleading, hear my teaching, hear my teaching, hear my teaching. Solomon focused so much on his son seeing and hearing his teaching that he lost sight that his son was focused on what he was seeing in his life. His son wasn't paying attention to the teachings. He was catching the way that Solomon lived his life. In the same attitude that sometimes we will bring our kids into spiritual things, it's most important that we teach them the spiritual things as opposed to showing them the spiritual things. 
And I would agree that it's important for you to bring your child to church every Sunday and letting them hear the teachings of Jesus. But I'm going to assure you, this is not where they're going to grow the most. The church is not the number one place that your children will grow in their spiritual faith. Your children will grow in their spiritual faith by what they see in you at home. As a church, we're here to assist you in what they see. But I want to warn you, don't live in this thinking that because you brought your child to church every Sunday that they're going to raise up and they're going to love the Lord forever because this isn't the best place for them. It's your home. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and, and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Even in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, we are learning that God says that the best way for a child to know my commands is not just teaching them, but it's walking with them and talking about me. It is getting up in the morning talking about me. It's laying down at bed at night talking about me. It's every moment of every day that God is a part of our life. You put them in the heart of a child by living it out day in and day out. Your children will catch a love for God by what they see and hear in you, not by what is taught. You see, Solomon's son was taught wisdom, but his son caught immorality and unfaithfulness. You can teach your kids that church and God are important, but if they don't see that day in and day out, they won't grab a hold of it. They won't catch it. One night at dinner, I was sitting with my 15-year-old son and the person he was mentoring, my 11-year-old daughter. She was learning from him what it means to be a teenager. And so my son was telling me about something that happened during the day, and I ended that with, wow, that's wonderful. Um, tell me where you saw the Lord in that. And my son, as a 15-year-old teenager, responded, Dad, with the enormous eye roll, everything's about God to you. And then the person he's mentoring, my 11-year-old daughter, says, yeah, Dad, you always make everything about God. Thinking they were insulting me, it was the proudest moment I had ever as a father. I slammed my hand on the table and I said, yes, you get it. Everything is about God. They never made that comment to me ever again. <laughs> Everything's about God. They were catching it. What would your kids say everything is about to you? What are they catching? Not just what you're teaching, what are they catching? Are they catching that everything's about their grades? Are they catching that everything's about sports? Is the only question they ever hear from you, did you get your homework done? What grade did you get? Did you study enough? Kids, for your safety, I'm going to encourage you not to respond any during this time with your parents around you. Don't elbow, don't do anything. This is for your protection. Is the daily routine at your home, get your gear, get in the car, let's go to our next game. You don't have time to just sit there do you have your homework? Bring it. Make sure you have your books. Get in the car. Let's go. We've got to move to the next thing. Is that the routine 
of your home. I get it. We want our kids involved in a lot of things, and there's a lot of things for our kids to be involved in, and we want it because we want their future to be taken care of. We want them to invest it in the things that we see in their future, and yet we're not thinking about their future walk with Christ. What are they catching? A friend of mine reminded me we have to focus more on G-O-D than MVP and GPA. Now, I'm going to break some of your hearts right now, and I apologize, but I'm a pastor. I'm uh, actually paid by you to do these kinds of things, to break your heart. Uh, but I'm also going to share this with you because as a guy who's walked through this with his children, 99% of your children that are playing sports on travel teams four days a week, and they're the best player on the team right now, 99% of them will never play past high school. And that's just a fact. And I know some of you are thinking, I agree with you, Mitch. And 95% of you are thinking, yep, and my kid's the 1% that will. 85% of the kids that day in and day out are asked about their grades and their homework to get them to the best college, to be able to get them the job that they dream about will not be in that job at age 30. They will be in a whole different career. You don't believe me? 85% of the people sitting in this room right now over age 30 that went to college, you're not in a job that you got a degree in. It's just a fact. Now, kids sitting and listening to me right now, I know you want to elbow your mom and dad. I want you to know, say, so lay off on the school, lay off on the sports. But I want you to hear me. Sports and school are very important. I was an athlete uh, coming through high school. I have a master's degree. They are vital. They are important. They set you up in a lot of different ways, but in balance. If that's the only thing your kids are hearing from you, you are teaching them the importance of temporary things as opposed to eternal things. And so your kids need to catch a love of Jesus while they're studying and while they're doing sports. And the best time to do that is when you're sitting and you're talking with them. While you're sitting and talking with them about, uh, about life around the table, when you're able to say to them, hey, what did you learn at school today? Mommy, did you know that two plus two is four? Wow, you learned that? Boy, you're getting good at math. Why do you think God thinks math is good? And as they get older and they're going to talk to you about differential equations and they're going to say things to you that you didn't understand then, you don't understand now, but you can say to them, wow, what do you think about a God who can create Human thinking to figure out math with nothing but letters. You see, everything can be this question about the beauty and power of God. As you encourage them to study, to play sports. The other thing I want to say to you, I hear stories, uh, and I want to encourage you, I hear stories of, of parents punishing their kid by saying, you didn't get your homework done tonight, so you won't go to youth group. Never punish your kids by taking away the very things that they can invest spiritually in. Because I know you're going to say, well, my kid says the youth group is cliquish, it's not fun. 
Okay, next time they tell you that school is cliquish and not fun, don't send them to school either. When's the last time you looked at your kid and said, you can't go to youth group because you didn't get the homework done? When's the last time you looked at your kid and said, you can't go to school today because you didn't go to youth group? What's most important to us? And I'm not saying one or the, I'm just saying we've got to have a good balance. When my son was 13 years old, he complained about the youth group he was in to his dad, the pastor of the church that his youth group was in. And he said, I just can't find any friends. There's no boys my age that are part of there, and I don't, I'm having a hard time finding friends. And so I made a commitment to him because my rule of thumb in our house was until you're of age 15, we will force you to go to youth group. You have to be a part of something spiritual in your life. And he said, well, I've been trying to do this. And I said, well, give it three more months. Do all you can to make some friendships, make it click. He came back after three months. He gave it his all. It just wasn't a good fit for him. And he said, some of my friends from school are going to this other church in their youth group. Can I go with them? Wait a minute. I'm a pastor of this church. I'm going to send my kid to another church's? Yes, by all means. Why? Because my son found a place where his friends were excited about growing in their faith with Jesus. I don't care where that is. Go and be a part of that. Never, ever punish your kids by taking away the very things that help them grow spiritually. After watching a movie, rule around our house was I would ask my kids, okay, tell me what you learned about the Lord. Tell me about the main character. How are they like God? How are they not like God? And I know some of you are thinking, Mitch, geez, everything was about God to you. Yeah. Actually, no. God made everything about him. My job as a parent was just to help my kids to recognize it. That's our job as a parent. Here's the second thing I want you to see about parenting. Parenting is about us keeping the relationship more than our kids keeping the rules. Now, parents, this one is vital for you to grab a hold of. I remember the life that this gave me as a parent when I figured this one out. I've watched so many parents evaluate if they're a good parent or not, or if another person is a good parent or not, by the way your kids behave or don't behave. I'm a good parent if my kids behave. I'm a bad parent if my kids don't behave. I'm a good parent if my kids turned out well. I'm a bad parent if they didn't. How many of you evaluate your parenting like this? Be honest. Most of us in this room have at some point. So let's play that definition out. You're a good parent if your kids behave. You're a bad parent if your kids don't. Let's play that one out. Do you know the number one symbol of God in the Scripture, the number one metaphor? God the Father. So therefore, God is a parent. Let's play the definition out on him. You're a good parent if your kids turn out well and follow your rules. You're a bad parent if you don't. What do we say about God? God's probably the worst father ever in history. If that's the definition. Because God has never been able to get his kids to do what he said to do. And if our definition of parenting is about our kids doing what we tell them to do, then God must be a horrible father. I'm going to put you on the spot. How many of you think God's a horrible father? Yeah. How many of you think we have a bad definition of parenting? 
as I studied the scriptures and looked in the scriptures as I was a parent because I was evaluating my own worth as a parent based off of whether my kids behaved or didn't behave, I noticed that the number one definition for God being a good father is he held on to the relationship. The number one job as a parent is holding on to the relationship with your children, regardless of what they do and they don't do. It is why he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to raise him from the dead, in order that he would hold on to the relationship with his children, who he deeply loves, regardless of what they did and what they didn't do. That's our number one job, parents, holding on to the relationship. And when they're a toddler, it's easy, even though you don't think it is. But as life gets older, it gets harder. And here are a couple other things I want you to grab in this. Rules have to have relationship. The rules that you give your kids, they have to have relationship. Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give me your heart. Let your eyes delight in my ways. See, it's one thing to give your kids a lot of rules. It's another thing that you want them to have your heart and you have their hearts. When my son was 15, he and his mom butted heads. Boy, they butted heads. When my son uh, would disrespect, would have this tendency to want to disrespect her, that was when I pulled him aside and said, here's the deal, buddy. That's my wife you're dealing with. She was my wife before she became your mom. She will be my wife after you leave this house. You will not disrespect her. Now, I could have laid that rule down and trapped him because in all honesty, my son's teenage years were not my wife's shining years in the same way that my daughter's teenage years were not my shining years. These were the years we had to lean in on each other. But I told my son, you're never trapped, but you will never disrespect her. And so if you find that she's told you and done something that you want to disrespect her, you do what she asks, and then you come and let's talk. There's a rule, but there's a relationship. And I can't tell you the number of conversations my son and I had around, I don't know how to not disrespect her. How do I do this? And we talked around ways that helped him as he's now older to deal with people that, that, are, that he disagrees with, that it's hard to associate with, and yet he has to have a relationship with. You've got to give rules, but they've got to come with the relationship. That's why there was never a, a rule in our house that said, because I said so. It was never important for my kids to hear, you do this because I said so. I wanted my kids to understand their dad's heart. I wanted them to understand, here's why I said so. I want you to understand why I give these rules. Now, it's not important to me if they have to do them once they understand them, because that would never happen. I can't tell you, well, Dad, I want to be able to go to this movie. I don't understand. My kids, my friends all go to this movie. The parents all let them go to this movie. I don't understand why I can't. I've told you the reason you can't. My job is to protect your mind and provide for your mind, and that movie is no good for that. But my, parent, my friend's parents let them go, and I'm sorry that they're not doing their job. But my job is to protect your heart and to protect your mind. You cannot go, I don't understand. 
And that became an opportunity to say to my kid, let me explain the difference between you not understanding and you not agreeing. It's important that you understand, but I really don't care if you agree. My job is to help my kids understand, and some of those things they won't understand until they're much older. I don't care at this point if you agree, because I have to do my job. I love you. I'm protecting you in ways that you don't understand and you won't for quite some time. Parents hold the relationship at all costs. I even had to learn a new language with my 15-year-old son. I learned caveman. My son would come down the steps. Uh, How you doing, buddy? Uh, uh, you, you doing good? You need anything? Uh, mental note. Uh, means nothing, okay? Comes down next morning. How you doing, buddy? Did you sleep well? What is huh? Fine. I slept fine. Okay, huh, it's fine. Uh, he's going to back up the steps. What do you want for breakfast? Uh, okay, nothing. He wants nothing. I understand. That's what means nothing. You have to learn new languages. My daughter taught me I knew nothing about the English language. She taught me I knew nothing, that my whole master's degree in reading people meant nothing. She'd come down the stairs stomping, and I'd ask her, is everything okay? Yes. Dad, why are you always asking if everything's okay? I don't know. You came down stomping. There's fire blowing out of your eyes. There's smoke coming out. I'm just trained in reading people, and evidently you seem like you're okay. Glad you're okay. Uh, I was okay until you asked all that, and she stomps back up the step. My whole master's degree gone out the door. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I love toddlers. I'm great up until age 10. Between age 10 and age 19, you might as well put me in a mental institution if I have to go through that again. That is hard years. But I want to encourage some of you that are in that place. I did 10 years of college ministry. 10 years of college ministry, and I know the stage past high school. If you ask my daughter today, um, you know, how often were you mad at your dad? It's like, oh, only a couple, probably two or three days. I'm like, well, what happened to the other 2,000 days that I felt like you were mad at me? I had college uh, parents would call me, their kids were freshmen, they'd call me, hey, would you reach out to my kid and get them in your Christian organization because they're in a bad place. They don't love Jesus because they really hate me. And I tell them, no, I'm not calling them. What do you mean? I need you to get them right. Here's what's going to happen, parents. If your kids are going to, uh, to college, if your kids are in college, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to grow in learning how to be a parent. This, these years are more about you growing as a parent than your kid growing as a kid. And you're going to have to be patient. How long, Mitch? Two years. Two years, they'll start calling you back. In two years, you're going to become important to them again. Your job for the next two years is to do everything you can to make sure that relationship is held on to. Because right now, they want their independence. Come junior year, they're starting to think about graduation. And who are they looking to? Who do they know knows more about finances and other things? You. 
and they're going to call you again. Hold the relationship. The last piece that I'm going to say to you in this is rules have relationship, but they also have consequences. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, my son, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't rescind his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Folks, the number one place that I'm seeing parents give up is in disciplining their children. You start it, and then it becomes an empty threat. Kids have an amazing way of wearing you down until it just becomes this thing, fine, I'm done, it's easy. And what I want to say to you is when you don't play it all the way through, you're loving you more than you're loving your child. When you don't play the discipline all the way through, it's because you're tired, you're worn out, you're caring about you more than you're caring about your child. Your child needs you to carry it all the way through. You owe it to them. Don't give up on that. I know that some of the things that I've said this morning for some of you may mean, because you're at an early age, okay, that's what I need to hear, Mitch. That's going to help me as a parent. For some of you, this is a very hard sermon because you may be past some of the parenting stages and you're looking back and going, boy, I wish I'd have heard some of this when I was a parent. I want to offer you, as the band comes up, I want to offer you just a, a hope story because the Lord is not done with you. Remember what we talked about earlier. The Lord takes our brokenness and turns it into his glory. The number one way that I learned how to be a good dad, it's one of the places, there are a lot of things I've not done well in my life, but one of the things I've done well is I've been a good parent. The number one way that I learned how to be a good dad was a gift of grace from the Lord at age 22 by a man named Mick Moses. Mick became a dad to me. I had a father who did not know how to be a dad. His dad didn't at all. And Mick Moses was a gift to me. And a gift from the Lord to break generations of dads not knowing how to be dads. He was age 50, and in his time of mentoring me and walking beside me for 30 years, Mick was actually healing from the years that he wasn't a good dad. And the Lord used him to heal my life, and my life used, the Lord used to heal his own parenting as well. What I want to say to you is if you feel like you're past it, you're not. There are people in this church who need you to walk beside them, to teach them what it means to be a parent. If you are a parent of a young child, I can't uh, stress strong enough to you, get around older people who've done it before. My wife and I call these people who laugh about the things we don't find very funny yet. And it's so refreshing when you sit with them and tell them about what your kid did, and you're mad, and they start laughing because you learn, my kid isn't as abnormal as I thought, and I'm actually a better parent than I thought. You've got to get around these other people and let them train you and mentor you in being a parent. The last thing I'm going to say to you is this summer's a great opportunity to do that. 
get around some of these people. Ask them to read Proverbs with you and learn from this wisdom. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, thank you for this morning. I thank you that you're the greatest father that has ever existed. I pray, Father, that uh, every one of us in this room would know that the grace of Jesus being poured out on the cross empowers us to parent in the way that you call us to parent. And there's so many times we're just tired and we're worn out. But Lord, with the grace of Jesus, the power of Jesus, renew us and call us back to what you know we can do, and that is keeping the relationship with our kids and loving them all the way through. As we stand and worship and close together, may you uh, heal our hearts of that. In your name we pray, amen.